every day that you reveal things about your heart or your character, your ways, you know, that if we would pause and we would look around, we could see your handiwork and see what you're doing and that you are speaking. And I pray, God, that in a new way you would, again, stir our hearts as we talk about your attributes, Lord, let it, Lord, let it be more than just a, a sermon, a speech, some words, oh God, I pray that it would stir up our hearts, stir up our affection, our relationship with you, that we would love you more, that we would want to serve you more, that we want to live to you more. And so, we ask God that again, you would reveal your heart today. Holy Spirit, come, awaken us, illuminate the Word of God, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, so again, we, we started this new series last week called God Is. We're going to be looking at some of the attributes of God found in Scripture. Um, this is not by any means an exhaustive look at all the attributes of God. There's no way we can even scratch the surface in fact. When you take one attribute, you could really look at that and, and, and we could do a certain on each of the attributes if we wanted to. And, and so God is, in, in His riches, He is so deep and He wants to reveal so much about His heart. And so, you know, we're going to just be scratching the surface. Last week we talked about how God is merciful. He's a merciful Father, He's a merciful Judge. And this week we're going to jump in and, and talk about what it means that God is holy. We sang the song of Holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. We're going to look at what it means that God is a holy God. And, I, and, and as I said, my, my heart is that this will stir up your love for God, for Jesus more and more, that uh, you will want to be more devoted to Him and you see Him um, and, and, and you study and unpack some of His attributes. And so, reminder, I kind of said this last week as we began, but reminder about the attributes of God. He does not step out of one attribute for another, okay? We, we need to understand a few things going in. He is perfect love. Yet he is also righteously just, right? When he is when he is walking in his justice, that doesn't mean he stops loving. In fact, a lot of ways he can reveal his love through his justice and through his discipline. We hear that word and we get a little scared of it, but that God loves us and he sometimes disciplines us for our own good. He's gracious and merciful, yet righteous. We can't just pick and choose what we love about God and, and forget the rest. It's like, like when we open up Scripture, there's certain passages that we love to kind of cue in on and, 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 and maybe put up on our fridge or, or those, those little, the peace, the God is peace and God is love kind of things that make us feel a little bit better about ourselves. And we tend to say, well, I don't like those kind of harder descriptions of God that He is a righteous judge or He disciplines those He loves and sometimes we can push that away. But God encompasses all of them and so we can't step out of one for another and He does not do that. And again, in Romans, um, and I'll talk a little bit about this later, but Paul says, Behold the kindness and severity of God. So we can't make God fit into a, a God box of our own definition, a Jesus of our own making. He is undefinable. One of the words that they would say this about God in the Old Testament, they would say Yahweh, if you would refer to that word, Yahweh. 
simply put, and there's, and there's a lot to that name, but simply put is the way we call him Yahweh, that it's the undefinable one. We can't fit him within our own definition. He is undefinable. And we're going to look at a little bit of how Yahweh actually reveals that he is holy. So we're going to get into today that God is holy. And again, I, my heart is that this is not just information for you. This is not just a bunch of points up on a screen. Um, if you are a note taker, great. But I actually want to engage your heart a little more. Um, that, that we would get a revelation that would transform us to become more like Jesus. That's the point of this, is that we want to become more and more like Jesus. And so my, my heart is not to just give you information, but that it's transformation um, in the form of revelation to become more like Jesus. You know, we were created to love epic things, right? How many people are mountain people? That's, that's where you, when you, you love to go see the mountains. You love to go travel. Any mountain people? All right. How many ocean people? You love the ocean. All right. So then you, who would rather go to Hawaii than the Alaska? Who's Alaska? See, it's a mountain. You know what I mean? It's, we all find the, what draws us to these things? It, it's, it's the epicness of it, Right. There's something about standing with your feet in the ocean and looking at this vast, powerful thing that you have no control over. Or a mountain that is just massive and we see it. And, you know, what makes people want to go climb Mount Everest? You know, what, 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 what draws them to those things? What makes us want to go see the Grand Canyon? Isn't it just a big hole in the earth? And you guys that love the Grand Canyon, you're just mad at me. But there's something grand about it. It's vast. It's huge. It's, it's, there's an epicness of it, right? We're drawn to those kind of things. Inspi- awe-inspiring things. That's why, you know, even in entertainment, it's like movies. They have to, they have to one-up the last one, right? They have to make it more epic. And then more epic, and we were like, where does the epicness end, right? Because we're drawn to those things. Some of us find awe-inspiring things when we listen to music. And there's something that stirs in our hearts when we hear a piece of music. And whatever your style is, that, 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 that drives something in your heart to be in awe. Again, some of us are, we find it in nature and those things out there. We're created and we're wired to love the epic. Some of us love epic things in sports. Anybody see the Tennessee Georgia game yesterday? Hey, Tim, thank you. Thank you. I'm a Tennessee fan, all right? Uh, it, if you want to do a wonder. All right, so yesterday, here's how it goes. If you, if you didn't, if you didn't watch Paul, or whatever. All right, so they're back and forth, right? At the end of the game, it's less than a minute. Georgia is down. They throw this long bomb. Pass, pass, it goes into full score. It's in Georgia, the place of, and all the Tennessee fans went into the place, including me. I'm holding Zion walking around, watching the TV. I'm like, what just happened? Tennessee has the ball. Six seconds to go. The guy backs up, throws a long bomb. They just win the game. 
And I'm like, yeah, what's that? And guys laughing at me. What, what makes us drawn to those things? You know, we love those stories. Of, and that's what kind of, those things that draw to sporting events or concerts. And there's something big about it. Well, we're wired that way by God Himself. We are really wired that way because God has created us to see the awesomeness of Himself, the glory of Himself, the majesty of God, the grandeur of God. And so sometimes when people sit, they, they go out and see an ocean or they see a mountain, what that should do, instead of just turning in on nature itself, and Paul warns us in Romans 1, he said, don't worship the creation, worship the creator. And a lot of times if you, if you have that feeling, you go, God, you are awesome. You ever have that when you're standing in the ocean, you go, God, you are incredible. You look at the sun, you look at the sunset, and I love the big sky here, it's really it's one of the beauties of living here. You see, you see for miles, and you're like, God, you're incredible. You look out at night, you see the stars, and you go, God, you are awesome. We were created to stand in awe of the majesty and the grandeur of God, to worship Him and not creation. And so we hear this word holy. What does it mean that God is holy? I'm going to go to the next slide here, and we're going to kind of look at this and we're going to unpack this a little bit over the next few minutes. The word holy simply means to be set apart. To be set apart. It's a, it's a, a distinction. It's a clear being set apart. It's unlike anything else. And so God being holy, His holiness refers to His being set apart or distinct from all creation, including me and you. He is set apart from all of creation. In other words, He's not like us. He's set apart from us. He's way bigger than we could ever comprehend. Paul says this in Romans 11. He says, how unsearchable are your ways. He sees God, a little bit of God's majesty, a little bit of God's glory, and he says, how unsearchable are your ways. You are magnificent. It is what made Isaiah cry out. That he said, his, his ways are higher than our ways. His thoughts are higher than our thoughts. There's nothing, no one ever like God. He is holy. And this, this attribute of God as holy, it actually probably, I think, maybe the most important one for us to get in the heart because it encompasses all the other attributes of God. Because all the other attributes of God are holy. They are set apart. What do I mean by that? Good question. His holiness is somewhat of an umbrella covering of all the other attributes that he carries. And so if holiness is that he is set apart, he's distinct, unlike anything else in all of creation, that all that he is, all of his attributes are set apart. His love is set apart, right? So his attribute, when we say God is love, and we're going to impact that in a couple of weeks about God is love, we cannot define him as in the, in the human definition of what it means to love. His love is set apart, is distinct, it is holy. And so when we try to just define God by, well, He is love, like I, like, like I know love, it, we've missed it. And so His love is set apart. That's why Paul wrote this. He said, 
He's writing to the, the church in Ephesus, and he says, I want you to understand. Then he says this, I want you to understand, although it's not fully understandable. You get it? How wide, how deep, how high is God's love for us? And that's why he said that. It, it, it almost sounds like he's, you know, it's, it's like an oxymoron. He's like, I want you to understand it, but by the way, you're not going to fully understand it. But his love is how, how high, how wide, how deep, how long is God's love for you. He's out mentioned that earlier. The depth of God's love. We could never understand how deeply he loved us. And so his love is separate. His love is distinct and his other attributes. That means his mercy is holy and set apart. It's unlike us. His grace, his righteousness, his sovereignty, and so on. The word holy is used more than 600 times in the Bible. Um, and so it, it, it describes something or someone set apart from all else. Like, for example, remember when God is speaking the seventh day, he called holy and he set it apart as a day of rest. Because God did and then he said it to the people, I want you to set apart the seventh day as a day of rest. It's holy and it's set apart. It's unlike the other day. Then the, the garments of Israel's priests, what did they call them? They said, I want you, you, when you come to minister before the Lord, you have to wear these special holy garments, they would call them. What does that mean? They're set apart. They're distinct. Because there was a way to approach God in the Old Testament. They couldn't just do whatever they wanted and approach Him however they felt like it. There was a, there was a prescribed way. So these garments were holy and set apart. And so God, being distinct from all creation, being the creator of all things, He is set apart in the sense that He is separate from sin, He is separate from corruption, He is separate from impurity, manipulation, control, in a sense of, of sinful control, and He is set apart from human reasoning. That means He is completely holy. He is perfect in all of His ways. He is exceptional. He is in a category all by himself, and he is unmatched by any other being or thing in all the universe. God is holy. And in fact, words just cannot describe him in complete detail. And so why is it important for us to know about the holiness of God, to think about, to study about, and to get that in our hearts? When we grasp some of what it means for him to be holy or set apart, it invokes, first of all, it invokes humility. It should invoke humility when we understand his holiness. In other words, our littleness compared to his greatness. In spite of what may be out there, and it could be humanism or bad teaching, we are not the center of the universe. Sorry if that burst anybody's love today. The earth does not revolve around us. And so when I understand God's holiness, it's His bigness to us. I recognize my littleness. Not that my littleness of, of I, I, you know, that, where we have that false humility, I'm, I'm just, I'm nothing, I'm, I'm nothing, I'm no good, nobody. That's true, but there's a sense of where it says, God, you are, that's what we're drawn to when we look at the ocean or we look at mountains and something that we're drawn to, the epicness of who God is, that He's bigger than us. So we shouldn't vote. Humility. That I'm alive right now because He's allowing me to breathe. 
Here's what Isaiah, in Isaiah 57, here's what God says. He says, I dwell in a high and holy place. What is a holy place? A high and holy place. Listen to this. With those whose hearts are humble and controlled. So even in God's economy, he says, and Jesus would say it later, he says, if you want to be great, be a servant. And that's where God says, I dwell with those who have a humble heart. They recognize who I am and who they are. And that is a high and holy place that I'm there. Those who recognize who he is and who we are in the light of him. It, it helps us recognize that he is higher, deeper, wider, greater than we could ever Realize. That's why you hear passages of scriptures as, oh, the depth of God's knowledge, how, how great He is, how high is, who can fathom you, David says in several places. Who, who can know you? Who can fathom you? Yet He's a God who wants to know us. Secondly, knowing God's holiness helps us to walk in the fear of the Lord, so it can help us to walk in humility, but also the fear of the Lord. That famous passage, the fear of the Lord is the beginning of what? Wisdom, knowledge. It's really wise for us to walk in the fear of the Lord. Now, again, that's to think, he is separate. That's not a human fearfulness. That's not to conjure up haunted houses. But there's a reverent fear of the Lord that we should have when we see his holiness. That he's gracious. He's merciful, he's a redeemer, but he's a righteous judge, and I want to stay humble and contrite before him because that's where he dwells. I said it earlier, Romans 3, Paul says, I want you to do this, church. Behold, his kindness is wonderful. His kindness is great, but also behold his severity, the greatness that he holds you in the palm of his hand, that everything, he knows my every thought. He watches me. He knows my actions. He knows the motives behind why I do what I do. There's nothing hidden from him. And that I will one day give an account to him. And so I don't want the reality of his holiness to just modify my behavior. Okay, that's not what I'm getting at. Know God's holiness to make us better boys and girls. Right? That's not the point. It's but to love him trust Him, live for Him every day, that He created us for relationship with Himself, and then in turn, He holds me to live moral before Him, right? That I want to live moral because I want to please Him, and not just, I want to be a good boy so that He doesn't smack me outside the head. No, I want to love Him, I want to receive His love, and then I want to please His heart. That's why Paul said this, he said, Jesus when Jesus came, he came to reconcile God and men. He's the visible image of the invisible God. And why did Jesus come? He, re- he revealed that this is a relationship, but he does remain holy in the relationship, right? But it is relationship. God's holiness is on display. You ever see those passages where Daniel had it and 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 John had it where an angel of the Lord would come before them. What would they do when the angel I mean, an angel came before them? What was their response? They would fall down, right? Like Daniel says he fell down like a dead man because he saw this angel. Okay, that's an angel. And they would tell him, don't worship me. I'm just an angel. Now, so if, if, if when an angel comes, if that invokes that I'm going to fall down and all of a sudden I want to, like a dead man, 
before an angel, which is a created being by God. What is God like? That, that, that's, the, that's just that idea of the fear of the Lord, of His holiness and His reverence, the reverence before Him. What is God like? And so also knowing God's holiness also should invoke my heart to worship. We were made to worship. We were made to worship. That, again, is why I began this idea when we, we love often things, we love epic things. Because it, what it does is it stirs our hearts. We're made to worship. Everybody worships. I don't care if you've been, are, you're a Christian or you're the strongest atheist. Everyone worships. What is that? Is that we are drawn to something, and again, the atheist can just be drawn to creation itself or be drawn to whatever invokes passion in their heart, but we are all made to worship. And that which we consider holy and set apart reveals our worship. It's what we prioritize, it's what we put our money to, it's what we Set apart, holy. It's what we set apart. That's how we worship. Guys, up here when people when they're singing and we are singing along and we are adoring God, we 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 tend to call that worship. And actually, that's not even a right definition. It is it, it is an expression of our worship. Our worship is every day. Our worship is I'm giving God my life every single day. What happens up here is people's celebration or expression of that. But we are all created to worship. And that's why in the Bible it says that these responses to God like doing, shouting, raising hands. And if that's a foreign concept to you, it shouldn't be. And that's why I would say if it is a foreign concept, it really isn't. Because again, go to a Viking scene. What do you see there? Shouting? Singing, raising our hands. Now, I'm not, I'm not, I'm not bashing on anybody that likes sports and that you cheer. We are emotional. We we are there, and, and we enjoy those things. But they're not to be turned in on themselves and become our God. Again, yesterday I was jumping with my toddler, and I'm like, I can't believe it. But there's there's something that stirs in our hearts that we. Lift our hands. And what does that mean? It's an act of surrender. When we sing, it's an expression. We're created emotionally, and we're created to love God and to see Him and to express worship. So those are the things that the holiness of God stirred. That's why Paul, when he's thinking, when he's considering God's love and grace, he says, is love and grace and mercy. He says, when I consider these things, I fall to my knees. And when I see you and I understand a little more about you, it makes me love you more. It makes me want to give my heart to you more. So we're going to look at two passages, not the 600 on the holiness. I'm not going to have a list up there. We're going to look at two passages of scripture. They're similar in nature. You'll be very familiar with them. There are many hymns written around these two places. One is Isaiah has a vision of God. 
The other is John's vision in Revelation. You have an Old Testament passage in Isaiah, the book of Isaiah, the prophet. And then you have John in Revelation where he gets to have a glimpse of heaven. And they're very similar in what happens. But we're going to see what's going on. In, the, in both instances, they're angelic beings. They are declaring that God is holy, holy, holy. Right? You ever heard of that? It's in the hand, holy, 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 holy. They say it three times. And there's something significant about them saying it three times. If you've ever wondered, you know, why would they say it three times? Why wouldn't they just say holy? There is something very meaningful about them saying it three times. There's only two places in Scripture where we're going to look at these where this declaration is made, and the one in Isaiah and the one in Revelation. So we're going to look at those in a moment, but I want to look at the significance of them saying three times, holy, holy, holy. Repeating a word for me to take the time to hold very important value in Hebrew language. The, the repetition, it made it stand out as utmost important. What they were saying was it, it is expressing the force, passion, and intensity of the truth of something. That's why they didn't use it loosely. They didn't just go around. And that's, and that's why things get lost in American language. And we can really try to, we're trying to emphatically make a point or, you know, and, and, and I really love doesn't, doesn't all of a sudden love lose a little something? And I understand that people really, really love pizza. And I'm okay with that. But you wouldn't love pizza like you love your spouse. At least we hope not. If that's the case, we need to talk afterwards, okay? But they didn't use this a lot. But there's, a, there's, a, there's a, again, there's a force of passion and intensity of the truth of something. It takes it a step further than even, remember when Jesus on the earth, and the earth was on the earth and he was teaching, he would say, truly, truly, I say to you. Remember when he said that a few times? Or if you're King James, verily, verily. Almost sounds like life is but a dream you want to say that, but... Uh, I don't know why I thought about that, but uh, but he said, verily, truly, truly, Jesus said that twice. And that is to put strong emphasis. That's why he said, truly, truly, unless you are born again, you cannot see the kingdom of God. And so what, he, what he's tightening the listen, the listen he said, you need to understand that you have to be born again to see the kingdom of God. In other words, new life, God's spirit, you turning from your sins and turning to God and saying, I want to live a new life. That's what it means to be born again. He goes, truly, truly, unless you're born again, you can't see the kingdom of God. And so in English language, we, we have a similar thing where we really want to put emphasis, you know, uh, long ago and far, far away. Star Wars fans, the galaxy, is that far, far, there's extra emphasis on it. But again, that's even a, almost a crude example of what is going on when angelic beings are saying, holy, holy, Holy is the Lord God Almighty. They are emphatically declaring with force, passion, and intensity the absolute truth of God's holiness. And again, these are angelic beings, and they, they, they seem all the time. They're in His presence. They've been in His presence from the foundation of the earth and before. And every day, they continue just to say this. Stand apart. You are holy. So let's look at those. Isaiah 6. Let's go right to that one. All right, so the Old Testament. This is the prophet Isaiah. In the, in the year that King Uzziah died, I saw the Lord. So he has this vision of the Lord. High and lifted up or exalted, seated on a throne. 
And the train of his robe filled the temple. And he is like, whoa, this is an amazing picture. Above him were seraphim, these angelic beings, each with six wings, with two wings that covered their faces. That gives you a little idea. These angelic beings can't even look at God. They're like, oh my goodness, he is so mighty and holy. With two, they covered their feet. With two, they were flying. They were calling to one another, Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty. The whole earth is full of His glory. And what they're saying is these angels are saying, Look, He's everywhere. His handiwork is everywhere. They're declaring the holiness of God and the emphasis being on the earth is full of His glory. Verse 4 is sort of the next slide. At the sound of their voices, the doorpost and the threshold shook, and the temple was filled with smoke. Is a mighty manifestation of God's presence. What is Isaiah's response? Not, oh, look, that's cool. Nito. He says this. He says, Woe to me. I cried, I am ruined, for I am a man of unclean lips. I live among people of unclean lips, and my eyes have seen the King, the Lord Almighty. Then one of the seraphim flew to me with a live coal in his hand, which he had taken. The tongue is from the altar. Verse 7 to the next one. Where did he touch my mouth? And he said, See, this is touched the lips of guilt is taken away, and your sin is atoned for. Then I heard the voice of the Lord saying, Whom shall I send? Who will go for us? And I said, Here I am, send me. This is a beautiful passage that actually does also reveal our story and the gospel story and God's intention for mankind. So the seraphim couldn't even look at God for His holiness. The whole earth is filled with His glory. That is one of the ways that we recognize God's holy. We recognize His work, His ways over creation. His salvation, His intervention. We recognize also that the mountains are there because of His handiwork. The ocean is there because He said it would be. His creation, as David said, His creation echoes His praise to all of the earth. We look around and we see God's handiwork, but it's not just in mountains, it's not just in oceans, it is in you and I when we see God's handiwork and we see His move, His, His work through us. But then Isaiah sees God in His fullness and His vision. What is His response? I'm undone, I'm ruined. He sees Himself in the light of God's glory, standard and holiness, right? That's that fear of the Lord thing saying, oh my goodness, compared to you, whoa. Which then it makes him love him more. And he's saying, God, whoa, you are amazing and you are awesome and I am undone and before you I am nothing. I'm a sinner. And here's what God's response. Because he says, I'm a, I'm a man of unclean lips. I live among the people. We are all broken sinners, right? All has been in following through the glory of God, Paul said. And Isaiah just recognized that oh, before you, I am a filthy sinner, and all of humanity at work, all filthy sinners. And what is God? He sends the seraphim to touch the coals to his lips, and he says, Now you have been cleansed, you've been redeemed. And in a sense, what did God do because of our sin? He sent Jesus. He sent Jesus to redeem us. We see the picture of salvation. Then God doesn't stop, stop there. God doesn't just say, yeah, you're right. You are, you are filthy and all you people are filthy. Have a nice day. He cleanses them first. And then what does He do? So I have a mission. I've redeemed you. I've cleansed you. Now I have a mission. Who will go for us? 
And then what does Isaiah, Isaiah say? He doesn't say, well, I'm filthy and I'm no good and I'll just always be no good. He'll he says, here I'm all sitting there, I'll go. And that, that's the calling of God on Isaiah's life to be a prophet to Israel. We're, what can we glean from that? As we are redeemed, God also calls us on mission. Yes, He is holy. Yes, compared to Him, we are nothing. But He cleanses us, redeems us, and then puts us on mission. He says, who go for me? I've got a plan for your life. Believe that. And his humility, that was the key thing being used by God, is, is he recognized his own sinfulness. He recognized that God was the only one that could cleanse him. He recognized how desperate he was for God. That's the key to being used by God for all of us. Let's look at Revelation 4 very quick. This is John's vision. Okay, John gets a little, in the book of Revelation, we have a lot of end times things that happen, a lot of, uh, a lot of symbolism, a lot of things that we're not going to, you know, look at the book of Revelation, but um, chapter 4 of Revelation, he gets, John gets a glimpse into what heavenly worship looks like. What's going on in heaven right now, he gets to see it, and he tells us about it. So Revelation 4, after this, I looked and there before me was a door standing open in heaven, and the voice I heard had first heard speaking to me like a trumpet said, come up here, I will show you what must take place after this. At once I was in the Spirit, and there before me was a throne in heaven, and someone sitting on it, and the one who sat there had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. Again, he had the appearance of Jasper and Ruby. That, that's a man trying to put human words on the glory of God. In other words, I, there's no other way I can describe it. Let's go to the next slide. A rainbow that's shown like an emerald circle of the throne. Surrounding the throne were 24 other thrones, and seated on them were the 24 elders. Most people believe that they, they were the 12 disciples and then the 12 patriarchs of Israel. They are the elders around the throne. They were dressed in white, had crowns of gold on their heads. What are these crowns? It's, their, it's the eternal rewards that were given, pictures of that. From the throne came flashes of lightning, rumblings, and a Venus sang that song, the worship came to the sun, and peals of thunder. In front of the throne, seven lamps of lightning. These are the seven spirits of God. Also, in front of the throne, there was blood like a sea of glass, clear as crystal. Next slide. Next slide. There you go. In the center, around the throne, were four living creatures. They were covered with eyes in front and back. The first living creature was like a lion, and the second was an ox. The third had a face like a man, the fourth was like a flying eagle. That sounds like the one in Isaiah. Very similar, right? Very similar passage. And again, is that exactly what they look like? He's probably the same. This is the best way I can just put it there. Sounds almost kind of freaky, but it's an angelic being. But then here's the point day and night, they never stop saying day and night. Holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who is to come. Now in Isaiah, Isaiah, he said, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of God Almighty. The whole earth is filled with His glory. We recognize His handiwork. What they say is, Holy, Holy, Holy is the Lord of God Almighty. Who was, who is, who is to come. We're going to come back to that in just a second. Whenever the living creatures give glory and honor and thanks to the one who sits on the throne, who lives forever and ever. The 24 elders, they fall down before him and sit on the throne. They worship and with their lives forever and ever, they lay their crowns before the throne. They say, You are worthy, our Lord and God, to receive glory and honor and power. So you created all things by your will that were created and have their being. Do you see what's stirred in the hearts of these angels, the elders, and they are looking at him and they are saying, You are unbelievable. 
unbelievable you are holy. Day and night, night and day, they continually say this holy, holy, holy is the Lord God Almighty who was, who is, who is to come. Over and over. And Dave Buring said this while he was here. And he says it in the discipleship journey. This is not something that they go, okay, you angels, you know, you angels, that's going to be your job forever and ever you can declare it. Holy, 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 it's not like that. What it is is they are seeing out the attributes of God even a little bit more, a little bit more, and it causes genuine heart worship to just say, oh, we, we, we've seen you for a million years, but we still see you, and we still cry out, holy, holy. There is nothing like you. You are great. You are grand. You are awesome. And then a moment later, oh, you are unbelievable. You are glorious and awesome. These are the angels that have been with him forever since he created them. Before us. And if this is their heart, when they see a little bit more about him, it says, we don't even have him all figured out. But he is holy. And I love that it says he is, is the Lord God who was, who is, who is to come. He is the God of the past, the present, and the future. Isn't that good news for all of us? So we can unpack this from creation. He's the God of the past, the present, and the future. But He's also the God of your past. He can redeem your past. He can take your broken, broken, brokenness, brokenness, and your pain, and your sin. He tries to remind you of all the time that He can say, oh, I am the God who was. I can redeem that. Then when you look and you say, just like David said, oh, you pulled me out of the pit. Out of the mud and mire, and you set my feet. And I can make your heart cry, holy, holy, holy. Thank you, God, that you healed me with my addiction. You set me free from my sin. You gave me a place. And I'm not the person I was, but He's also he's the one who was, who is. He's the God of you right now. He's the God who's ever present. And He's with you. Even when it feels like sometimes He's not there, He's always there. And that when we can say, God, holy, 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 you are the God who is. You are right here, right now. I can't feel you. Sometimes I can't feel like you can't hear you. Sometimes it feels like a million miles away. But I know that you are here. And then it invokes the worship of saying, you also, the God who is to come, that you have my future in your hands. That even the days that I don't see, the tomorrow, next week, next month, you have it all in your hands. And then ultimately, when I die and I leave this earth, I get to be with you forever. You've created a place for me. I get to know you forever and worship you. In the 24 hours, their response is to lay their crowns down. Isn't that interesting? That's the eternal rewards. And why are they doing that? Why, 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 when all this worship goes in heaven, they just feel like they're going to take their crowns? Because, you know, there's that sense of that we, we, it's, it's not about my works. I mean, I do works, right? I, I do the things that God called me to do, and I want to redeem that, right? We're all called with passion and purpose, right? By God. And sometimes we, we can get a, like a false sense that that's where we get our identity. Our identity also always to be in Him and not our works. It's like the pastor works with if, if It was never about that. Thank you, God, for the rewards. But the rewards, it was never about that. Because you are my reward. 
whatever crowns or whatever reward I get, even the mansions that we can talk about in John 14, I want to prepare a place for you. When we get to heaven, we're not going to be, okay, angel, show me where I'm living. I'm going to, I'm going to take this mansion out. You better be Vikings purple, too. It'll be awesome. It says he's gone to prepare a place for us. And it will be heaven. It will be it's undescribable. I mean, it, it will be incredible. Which reminds me of a joke about a Packers fan and a Vikings fan that went to heaven. So they're right around heaven, and all of a sudden, over the horizon, there's this beautiful, beautiful mansion decked out in Green Bay Packers stuff. And the Green Bay Packers fan goes, oh my goodness, you know exactly what, I mean, you know me. I mean, wow, this is unbelievable. I can't believe how nice this is. He's like looking around and Packers stuff is everywhere. Like, this is incredible. But then he steps over and he sees this gigantic, massive Vikings mansion. He's assuming that it's for this guy. And he's like, Whoa, and he starts feeling a little bit less like, oh, mine's nice, but wow. That's really, really nice. I mean, why didn't I live there? And is it this guy's name? He goes, that's not his, that's God's. Is God a Viking fan? I don't know. Probably not. But there's this sense that when they lay their crowns down, or you know, and, 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 and we have a dwelling place, and we will be in heaven. But when we get there, guys, when we get there, we see Jesus face to face. None of that other stuff is going to matter. It will be always about Him, the God who was, who is, who is to come. It's always been about Him. It will forever be about Him. And they see Him on the throne, and they throw their crowns down. They say, "There's nothing like You. You can have my crown. You can have it all. I want You." And you alone. I'm going to close with these thoughts. Um, I don't want to lose the awe and the wonder and majesty of God through Jesus and holiness. I pray that, again, this stirs up your affection that you daily get a revelation of His holiness. And here's how, let me, let me just talk about, here's how we miss His holiness and ultimately His other attributes. When we, first of all, if we treat him in his ways as common, we treat him in his ways as common and not set apart. There's a warning in the Bible about treating the things of God as commonplace. And we can miss the reverence and how God wants to, and and even the sense of things. Sometimes we just look for the big dynamic things that God's working. And that's why I say, as believers, we should go out and we should be spreading the love of God as the Holy Spirit is in us. And we, when you're just simply kind to that worker at the store, you don't know the holiness and of the moment that this simply being kind. And we miss out on that because we just kind of treat it as commonplace at times. Another way we missed out on how holiness is when we treat God as if He is like us. We try to define Him by human reasoning. We try to, again, fit Him into a God of our own making. Saying stuff, well, He's love and He's never judged me. God doesn't judge. Well, God is a righteous judge. 
and we kind of throw these things out there and we try to define him within human reasoning. Being full of spiritual pride and arrogance, also, we will miss out on his holiness. Jesus isn't my homeboy. As cute as that might sound, he is the holy, awesome King of kings and Lord of lords. Yes, he is my friend, but he is also holy. He's set apart. We can also miss out on God's holiness when we make holy wasn't what wasn't meant to be holy. And that's why cheers with Vikings as much as you want. I think that's great. And God gives us this common grace on the earth. But it doesn't turn on in on this stuff. You know, some people escape to those things as if it's going to be that thing that fulfills our heart to be treated as holy above God. We can see human relationships as wonderful as marriages. My, my, my wife is not Jesus. I'm not Jesus to her. We're two broken people worshiping God trying to live life with each other. But we can take human relationships and make them holy. We can take things of the earth and make them holy that they were never intended to be holy. Only Jesus is holy. We would begin a new way to be in awe and wonder of His holiness, His works, His creation. And you know, there's a scripture that I didn't deal with it, but we're told, be holy as I am holy. Does that one make you a little nervous? Where God says, I want you to be holy like me. How do we do that? It's what the seraphim said in Isaiah, that the earth is full of his glory. We recognize him. We allow him to live in and through us. We humble ourselves before him. We are continually aware of his presence. We submit to him every day. We say, God, I desperately need you to live in me. I want your attributes to be seen in me. Right? That's why Peter says, be ready to give an answer to the hope that's in you. That's God's attribute being filtered through you. We in ourselves aren't holy, but if, if, if I'm giving my life to him and he is in me and I every day say, I need you, if you filter his holiness, that's how we are holy because people see his attributes in us. They're not drawn to us. They're drawn to him. And he will continue to call out to us to mention me today. You need me today. You need me today. You stand with me. Jesus, I pray today that, Lord, we would in a new way see your holiness, God, that again, as we leave here, we would not just hear words and then forget it. We would be stirred to greater devotion, to greater affection, to greater love for you. Lord, you are holy. You are set apart. God, forgive us. And I know from my own heart the things that you've been revealing to me this week, the times that I have treated you common. Lord, the things that I have made holy in my life, the things I have set apart and I put money to, and I put my time to, Lord God, again, that, that interfere with me making you holy in those areas. God, forgive me. Forgive me. Lord, let us walk in the reality of that you are with us every day that you want to walk with us, that you want us to submit our hearts, that we would live lives, that we would say, holy, 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 God, I give you my life. You are set apart. I want you to be seen in and through me. I want 
the things that I do, the things that I say to reveal you. I want people to see. I want the whole earth to be filled with your glory. Lord, that even when we look in the day-to-day, we would recognize your hands. We look at a mountain. We look at a sky. We look at an ocean, God. We would say how awesome God is. And Lord, that we would recognize those times when we're at Walmart, we're at Coburn's, we're going about our day, and we're kind to someone, that your Holy Spirit, let us not lose the power and speak that, that moment as common. Because God, you are there, you are working at all times. Whether we feel you, see you, or that you are holy, and we would recognize that. God, I pray, Jesus, for today, Lord, for anyone who's here, and I want to pray for you specifically. Thank you for you that, that God sees you and He is the God who was, who is, who is to come. Maybe you hear today and that you've been dictated by the shame, the sin of your past. And you find it hard to understand God's acceptance of you. But that Jesus is here who loves you deeply. And that's why Paul said, I want you to know how deep, how wide, how long is God's love for you. And that God wants to redeem your past. That that's you today. And you have been struggling about some of the past, the shame of the past. God wants to lift that off you. And I want you to just lift your hands so I can pray for you today. Anybody here? Thank you. Thank you for the sins. You can put those hands down. I want to pray for those. God sees more than your hands. He sees your heart. God, I pray today for those who lift their hands. Maybe there are those who here that felt that way and they didn't lift their hands. But God, you see the heart. I pray, God, that you would redeem past, take away the shame, take away the hurt, take away, Lord, those things that the past that try to dictate us, Lord, we are all broken and we need you, and we would see that you are the God who was, you were there, and you want to heal that, and you want to redeem it from your glory. And Lord, I pray for each and every one of us that today, you're the God who is, we would live every day for you, knowing, God, that you have a glorious future for us. You can redeem our time. We can make the most of every opportunity. And we can walk forward in the mighty power of God saying, Holy, holy, holy. You are set apart. You are beautiful. There's none like you. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen. God bless you. I hope you have an awesome, wonderful day and a wonderful week ahead.